What is God like? Is he knowable? Today we continue our discussion of theology anyone as opposed to tennis anyone and we discuss God, the doctrine of God. Hello everyone and welcome to Keith Crosby Out of My Mind. This is podcast 076, podcast 76, where we have a biblical conversation about the crazy world in which we live. So join us over the next 20 minutes or so as we provide you a bird's eye view perspective of some complex issue confronting our culture, the church, and you as we apply God's word to make sense of it all. At the end of the podcast, we'll provide you additional resources just in case you'd like to dig a little bit deeper. In the meantime, let's get started. Well, first things first, Mark. What is God like and is he knowable? There's never been a person who's ever lived on this planet who didn't know that there was a God, that God is. Why is that? Because God has always pursued humanity. He's always revealed himself to humanity for humanity's own good and benefit. You know, we know this from him coming after Adam and Eve in the garden when they tried to hide from him. We know this with his coming after Cain after he killed Abel. He sent his prophets to Israel to bring them to repentance. And finally, he sent his son to redeem us. And so people know that God is. So I feel like that's a pretty big statement, pretty bold statement to say that there's never been a person alive who didn't know God. You know, I think the question always comes up, what about the people groups or the people who have never heard the gospel? Nobody's ever presented it to them. Maybe they uh, live on the side of a mountain in the Himalayas or deep in the rainforest. There's got to be people in this world who have never heard the gospel. And so to make that statement that there's never been a person alive who didn't know God seems like a pretty bold statement. Why don't you expand a little bit on that? Well, sure. And I, I just want to be clear. I didn't say they hadn't heard the gospel every time, but I said that there's nobody who doesn't know God. I remember a friend of mine, he was a pioneer missionary to Indonesia, and he was talking to a witch doctor or a shaman that he had led to Christ. And the witch doctor goes, you know, we've always known about your God. We just didn't want to be accountable to him. So there's never been a person who didn't know that God is because God has revealed himself in countless, countless ways. Human beings are hardwired with an inner sense of God. Every human knows at some conscious or unconscious level that they are God's creatures and that he is their creator. Okay, well, what about the atheists then that deny the existence of God? There are people that very staunchly and firmly believe that there's just no God, it's not possible. What about those people? Well, let's talk about this. What does the Bible say? Let's look at Romans one eighteen to 23, and we've gone there a number of times in the past. It's a good passage for a discussion like this, and it says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against what? All ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who, by their unrighteousness, suppress the truth. They suppress what is true. Verse 19, Because what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. He goes on to say in verse 21, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of their immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Now, this is God speaking to us as believers. 
people who know that he exists. And he's really telling us and he's kind of comforting us to understand that there's no one who didn't know about him, that he's revealed himself through the handiwork of his creation. He's put eternity in their hearts, as it says in Ecclesiastes. He has created in them some sense of his existence. And rather than embrace that or to pursue or to hunt or to look for God, they suppress the truth and unrighteousness and concoct all kinds of theories and crazy stories about other gods, or they worship statues or resembling mortal men or birds or animals or creeping things. And that is the truth. And he tells us this in Romans for our assurance and comfort and to remind us that as we speak to somebody, they're not without hope because they know already that there's a void in them in the shape of God in some sense. And what's the significance of these verses that make up the last part of the introduction or the opening verses of the book of Romans? Yeah, I think it is really a perfect choice for this topic because uh, this beginning of Romans is really Paul starting out, you know, I would say probably his most theological epistle or letter, essentially, that he wrote to the churches in Rome. And really, Romans is all about salvation. And I love that he starts with this whole idea that God has been made known to everyone. Yeah, well, these verses set up a lengthy and detailed discussion about salvation, how it works, the nature of fallen human beings, their culpability, and how all this ties together. And so Paul gives bad news. You can't pretend to be ignorant. But the good news is is that you know better, and there's always hope if you will embrace Christ. So Paul writes that the Gentile unbelievers who have no biblical categories floating around in their heads nevertheless knew God but chose not to honor him as God or to give thanks in Romans uh, 121. He says that these wicked unbelievers have exchanged the truth of God for a lie in Romans 125. And he implies that they are actively and or willingly rejecting the truth about God's existence to pretend otherwise, to give them freedom from God, you might say. It's a conscious decision because Paul explains what can be known about God has been made plain to them. And he adds that God has shown it to them. And this is Romans 1.19. And so and he goes on to say that in Romans 20 and 21 that he has revealed himself to them in the order and structure and grandeur of the creation. And as a prime example of this, we read this elsewhere in the Bible, in Romans, excuse me, in Psalm 19, 1 through 3. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, there are no words where there, whose voice is not heard. And what he's saying there is this in Psalm 19. Look around you, and you see that God is. All this came from something, and you cannot escape his reality because you live in his creation. You can pretend otherwise, but you live in God's world, and his handprints are all over everything. And then, like I said earlier about Ecclesiastes, it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 that God has made everything beautiful in its time. Everything is wonderful. He's the creator of beauty, and while man cannot find God on his own, God has chosen to reveal himself to mankind by putting eternity in his heart. Man cannot reason his way to God. He cannot sneak up on God and see him, but God has revealed himself to mankind of God's own initiative. So Mark, based on this, what would you say God is like? Well, yeah, I like the part in Romans 20 where it's, it's, Paul is saying that all these things about God, all his eternal power and divine nature have been 
clearly perceived. And then when you look at Psalm 19, and the heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies above proclaim his handiwork, God is knowable because he has made himself known. He's revealed himself to us. And I think that to me is one of the most amazing things about the God that we serve is that he's not just some far off being who made everything and set it into motion and then left it alone and said, all right, you guys figure it out. He's knowable to us and he can be so near to us, even though he's so holy and majestic and above us, he's also so knowable to us and near to us. And really, I think that just shows that that's how caring God is. Yeah, that's it. He's knowable because he's a caring God. He has made himself known in nature in some sense. He's placed his imprint in our hearts. And also, above and beyond all that, he's revealed himself to us in the scriptures. And so implicit in God's pursuit of humanity, natural revelation and special revelation is God's loving kindness, God's enduring mercy. We see him dealing with mankind, with humanity and scripture in such a way that shows his patience and his kindness. He's unlike us in that sense because human beings are not patient and kind. They're rude. But God is, is patient. God is kind. God is not rude. God does not rejoice at wrongdoing. He rejoices and reveals truth. God never fails. His existence never ends. And he seeks the good of others. That's what we see both in natural revelation, I think, but specifically in the revelation of the Scriptures. And you know what that means, Mark? Yeah, I mean, it just points to God, who is a loving God. He's kind, he's patient, he's gracious. He's really a lot of the things that we would like to be, but aren't. Yeah, and when the world looks at him, this uh, secular world, and they call him a tyrant or a genocidal maniac or a homophobe, they're really indicting themselves. You know, a racist sees God as a racist, a hater sees God as a hater, because they're projecting on him. But as we begin our discussion today and ask and answer the question, what is God like? This really could introduce a whole discussion of his attributes. But today we just want to learn that God is knowable, discoverable, yes, and we learn that God is love. But we learn something else about God speaking of his attributes, and that is God is holy. God is holy, and that word holy is a word that is lost on many people. Yeah, I think that's a key piece. And, you know, if we're going to start with who is God, I think it has to start there with the fact that he is holy. And and I think you're right. It's a term that a lot of people, I think, don't fully understand anymore. Uh, there's people that suggest that it means pure or perfect or perfectly good or good, but it's so much more than that. It is, Mark. It is so, so much more than that. And so we're going to really zero in on this today, and we're going to ask and answer what God is like, and we're going to explain his holiness. Holiness, yeah, includes his purity. It includes his kindness. It includes his love. It includes his patience. Of all the attributes of God, holiness is the attribute that really contains all of its other attributes. Holiness, I want you to think of it this way, is like a giant bucket that holds them all all of his communicable attributes, the attributes that we are said to share with him, and all of his non-communicable attributes that we don't have in common with him, like his sovereignty, his omniscience, his omnipresence. And the word holy in the Old Testament and the New, in the Old Testament it's kadosh, which means set apart or separated or dedicated, something in that range of meaning. And in the New Testament it's agios or agios, which means, as well, it's the word we get 
holy from. It means sanctified. And bound up in both of these words is the idea of differentness. And that's implicit and set apart, being sanctified. It's like this. All of God's attributes make him very different from us, qualitatively and quantitative, and that makes him holy. And God is patient and God is kind, unlike fallen human beings. God is kind and not rude. He doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing. He rejoices in the truth. You can't say the same thing of people. This is always how God is. It's not always how we are. And getting back to our earlier discussion, many in the world who deny his existence or pretend to, many in the world hate the Christian God because they see him like the world, not different. And as I said a moment ago, they impose their own constructs about God on this one true God. Racists see him as a racist. Immoral people see him as immoral. In our culture, he's accused of being a genocidal maniac, a colonizer, a bigot, a homophobe, a merciless rule enforcer. Uh, and, and, and so God-haters project on God the hate that they have, and they see him as hateful. So why do you think that is? Why do you think that people project kind of almost what they feel in their hearts on God? Well, it gets back into Romans 1.18 to 22. They want autonomy from his reign. They want autonomy from his morality. And they want autonomy from his goodness and his mercy. You know, they want to stick it to their enemies. Well, God is a forgiving God. They want to hurt others worse than others have hurt them. They want to impose their will on others mercilessly. You see that going on in Canada with these protesters being punished by a dictatorial prime minister. And so whether you live in Canada or in North Korea or China or just down the street in your own neighborhood, God is holy. He's not like us. He's, uh, you know, I don't want to play with words here, but God is H-O-L-Y because he is holy W-H-O-L-L-Y, unlike us. And so let me explain. God is merciful, he's sacrificial, and he's perfectly so. He never gets tired of being righteous, holy, and good. He, he takes no pleasure in the destruction of the wicked. He wishes they were to turn to him and repent. He so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son. He, he saves us by grace through faith, as it says in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, and Titus 3, 5. And, and God doesn't judge by appearances. John 7, Jesus says, don't judge by appearances, judge by righteous judgment. Or when Samuel goes to anoint David, he's looking at his strapping brothers who are bigger and more handsome than he is. And God says, uh-uh, don't look at their outward appearance. God doesn't see as men see. God looks at the heart. God is holy, holy, totally holy, totally unlike us. Okay, so a moment ago you did talk about communicable and non-communicable attributes. And you stated that the communicable attributes are those attributes that God gives to us. So I guess some examples would be, you know, God communicates, he talks, we can communicate and talk. God loves, we love, he feels emotions. Uh, God thinks or is creative and we can be thoughtful and creative and we can d uh, create things too. Uh, God is just, and I think, you know, as a society, as a culture, we definitely uh, sense that we like justice, that it's good, that um, it's something that gives us the ability um, to feel anger, which, uh, feel, which apparently God would feel as well if he's just. And so these are attributes or traits that we share in common with God. So when you say that God is 
wholly unlike us, that he is wholly different from us. Isn't there some similarity? Aren't we kind of like God? Yes and no, Mark. Um, God loves and we love. He feels emotion, but not like us. He loves perfectly. Uh, When we feel anger, sometimes we sin. God never sins. He never loses control. God thinks and is creative, and we can think and are creative too, but we can only think our thoughts after him. There's nothing that we know that he didn't already know. God is just, but he he never uh, perverts his justice. He never shortcuts his justice. And few would say that our sense of justice is pure or that our anger is always godly. We taint and corrupt these attributes with other motives. These are attributes or traits that we share in common with God, but only so far, only to a point. And that's because he, we're created in his image, as we read in Genesis. You know, we're created in his image and likeness. But at best, in our fallen condition, we're like an old black and white photo, and he's full color, or 4K, or 5K, whatever it is. We're like a, a facsimile. We, bear, we, we, we are not perfect images of God. And as much as we share versions of these traits in common, some call them communicable attributes, our attributes are different because they are not perfect. They are not untainted. And qualitatively, they're different. I mean, after all, I resemble my mom and dad, but I don't totally look like them. We're different people. And that's why we read this in Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So what is God like? Saying that we are like God and that we share attributes in common is like comparing a drainage ditch to the Grand Canyon. There's really no comparison, but I suppose they do bear some resemblance to one another. All right. So before we run out of time, I think that it's clear that God is definitely different than us and and really wholly set apart uh, from us. But how should God being so different, so holy, encourage and comfort us and really, I think, ultimately challenge us? Well, not to sound flippant or irreverent or glib or anything like that, but they say imitation is the best form of flattery or, in God's case, worship. And so from Old Testament to New Testament, we read things like, Be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Be holy, Peter writes, because God is holy. He's saying, be different because I'm different. And so as we bear witness to God, we do so by being different from those around us. And so God can use us to display his glory through. Uh, You know, in the workplace, if somebody makes a mistake, you don't yell or scream or threaten or pile on or cancel. You redeem, you forgive. You show patience. You show kindness. We don't act like the culture. We want to be like God. We want to be like our Father in heaven, not conformed to this world, but transformed by our relationship with him and conformed to the image of his Son. And we find encouragement in this because God is different. He's, he's filled with grace and mercy rather than impatience. He wants to forgive rather than hold things over you. He says, I will remember your sins no more. Well, we could apply that to our spouses and friends. We could find encouragement to say, okay, I can't be just like God, but I want, I, want to, I want to, in obedience and love and appreciation, be as godly as I can. I mean, his, his omniscience informs his dealings with us, and it informs his grace too. And in Psalm, uh, 19, uh, Psalm 102, 
we see this. As far as from the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassions to those who fear him. For we, he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Because God is different than us, he never wearies of us. He understands our frailties. He understands our shortcomings. And so when we ask forgiveness, this perfect God, this holy God, whose attributes of mercy, love, and grace are perfect, shows us mercy and grace. And we can reflect that mercy and grace to others. He loves us, as we discussed earlier. He's never jealous of us. He's jealous for us, for our good. He's very different. He never shows partiality. He's the perfect parent in whose arms you can rush into rather than run from. And remember that in Revelation 21, it says, in chapter 21, it says, he's going to wipe away every tear. Think about that. Think why he wrote that. He wanted us to know that. We needed to hear that, to have hope in a soul-wearying, soul-crushing world. And so his holiness that makes him entirely different enables him to do for us, to want to do for us what we wouldn't do for ourselves or anyone else. And so there's where the hope is. There's where the encouragement is. You know, the joy of the Lord is your strength. It's your enablement. And so I just, I just think that his holiness is a source of comfort and encouragement, even though he's very different from us. He's like the giant perfect parent. Yeah, I think that's the encouragement and the challenge that call for us to pursue holiness, to pursue this these godlike characteristics that we will never be perfect at, but the challenge there to pursue that holiness. Yeah, I mean, that's it. He's knowable. He's revealed himself to us. He's holy. That's what God is like. And because he's holy, he is loaded with inconceivable good things, inconceivable mercy, infinite in his perfections, and yet knowable too. And he wants you to know him. He wants our listeners to know him. He wants people to know his forgiveness, his healing, his hope, his restoration. Well, that's it for today. If you'd like further resources, visit us online at www.gracetoliveradio.org and click the podcast resource button. If you'd like to ask me a question, you can email me at keith at hillside.org. You can learn more about Hillside Church at www.hillside.org. You can watch our worship services online, or you can you can worship with us at 8, 9.30, and 11 o'clock at 545 Hillsdale Avenue. You know, if you're listening on a podcast platform, please like us, please comment on us, please share us with your friends. It helps us expand the reach of this ministry. This is Keith Crosby with Mark Stickler saying God bless you and God keep you.